This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Well, good morning. Welcome to Cedar Springs Church. For those of you who are visiting, rest assured that your instincts are correct. This is not normal. That's why everyone else seems lost as well. But don't panic. We'll put the chairs back next week. Somebody will. Hopefully. There's a reason why we do this, though. Today is the day that we celebrate Reformation Sunday. Beginning in 1517, men like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli, say that five times fast, rebelled against the Catholic Church. And the reason for their rebellion, it boiled down to two primary issues. One was that they believed that salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The Catholic Church, however, believed that salvation is partially by works. Sacraments, they called them. The second reason they rebelled was was based primarily on the authority of the Bible. The Reformers believed that the Bible was the only authority in their life, whereas the Catholic Church would say that the Bible is an authority in your life, along with church tradition and popes and things like that. So an interesting thing happened. Many of those Reformation churches arranged their sanctuaries to make what they, how they viewed Scripture apparent. And, and one of those ways is they would elevate the pulpit, sometimes even 15, 20 feet in the air, uh, to, to, to show, to visualize that the Word of God was in authority over the people. However, some churches moved their pulpits out into the middle of the congregation. This was to symbolize that Scripture was at the center of their church. And so... Once a year to celebrate the Reformation, and because we don't have 30-foot-high ceilings, we move our pulpit out into the middle of the congregation as, as a tangible reminder of the role that God's Word plays at Cedar Springs Church. So with that said, go with me in prayer before we begin. Heavenly Father, this is the time that we come to your word. I pray, Lord, that you would make your word come alive. That you would touch our hearts, unstop our ears. And ultimately, Lord, we pray that you and Jesus and the Spirit would be glorified. Cause the the word that you plant deep in us to divide bone from marrow, to go into our innermost thoughts and convict us and grow us and encourage us. And and Father, I pray that you would cause your word to grow our lives. And because you have promised us this through our Savior, Jesus Christ, it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, because of the massive role that the letter to the Galatians played in the Reformation. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 1 this morning if you want to start heading there in your Bibles. 
We live in an era of deep fakes. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. For example, regardless of their terrible grammar and inability to spell, scams take advantage of thousands of people every year. For example, recently I received this text from the New Mexico Department of Workforce Solutions. Due to the numerous number of fraud claims, we request your verify your identity to prevent you account from being blocked. I also received this voicemail recently from someone who had a very heavy accent that said, Hi, this is so-and-so from QuickBooks. This call is in regards to your QuickBooks account as the annual service is due for annual and the card on file is declining. (laughs) However, while some of those scams are easier to pick out than others, far greater scams have had a larger impact on our lives. Nowadays, you can take just a few audio clips of someone, put it into some software, and that software can generate that person's voice with anything you type into it. And their tone and intonation and cadence is so perfect that you can hardly tell the difference. In fact, this kind of of scam had a massive impact on the 2020 elections. Or similarly, I used to be amazed at how casting directors could find a stuntman that looked so much like the person that they were trying to portray. But nowadays, you don't need someone to look like that. You just need a similar body type because CGI has gotten so good that they can superimpose someone's face onto someone else, and you can't tell the difference. We live in an era of deep fakes. So I want to talk to you this morning about a fake that is far more threatening than any of those. In his letter to the Galatians, No sooner had Paul finished his introduction before he immediately rebuked the Galatians for their willingness to turn to a fake gospel. Look at verse 6 of Galatians chapter 1 with me. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now the word there, gospel, it literally just means good news. That's the Greek meaning of that word. It's the good news that salvation doesn't come from being good enough. In verse 6, Paul calls it the grace of Christ. The good news is that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Period. Full stop. And so Paul was shocked to hear that the Galatians were turning to a fake gospel, a substitute gospel. Now, don't worry, I'm not here to rebuke you this morning for turning to a fake gospel. That's not you. But that doesn't mean that this passage doesn't have anything to say to us. In other words, just because we haven't deserted the gospel doesn't mean we're immune to the danger. False gospels are just as rampant and just as tempting today as they were during Paul's time. So, this morning... We celebrate the Reformation that that refocused the 
the church back to the heart of the gospel. And I want to persuade you this morning that we must, we must, we must accept no substitutes. We must accept no substitutes. Because look at what Paul says next in verse 7. Where he tells us we must accept no substitutes because some will try. He says, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I know some of you have been impacted in your past by a substitute gospel. Our culture today is absorbed with this idea of misinformation. It's this buzzword floating around, misinformation. The irony is, however, all of our culture's efforts to to dispose of misinformation has only served to preserve the worst misinformation there is. Misinformation about the gospel. In fact, there is so much misinformation about the gospel floating around in our culture that people are beginning to actually deny a Christ that doesn't even exist. Many people are rejecting a gospel they've been told is all about money or a gospel that they've been told is all about their specific works. What I want you to hear this morning, though, is that Satan is not an idiot. It's not just the easily spotted fake gospels that we need to be aware of. The substitute gospels that pose the biggest threat to us are far more subtle than that. Paul says in verse 7 that they are gospels that have been distorted or perverted, your translation might say. Literally, they are gospels that have been bent. But that means that the danger of these substitute gospels is that they contain a certain amount of truth. A bent pipe is still a pipe, isn't it? So can you identify the substitute Gospels that are threatening the modern church today? Let me give you a few examples. There is the Gospel of Health, which teaches that if you have enough faith, Jesus will heal you of sickness. This Gospel puts your faith in yourself instead of God. Or there's the Gospel of the Family, which teaches that Jesus is the way to a happy family. This gospel teaches that if you parent right, your family will be happy and your kids will turn out okay. It's a good thing that didn't apply to God. Therefore, this gospel says that your children determine whether or not you are a good Christian. Your family determines whether or not you are a good Christian. There's the gospel of self, which which teaches that, that, that your personal relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in your life. This gospel says that the church and the people there in it exist primarily to better your relationship with Jesus. And this gospel makes you the idol and then you require others to serve it. There's the gospel of morality, which teaches that Jesus saved you, but you need to prove that he made a good purchase. You need to work and perform to stay saved. 
I would say, however, probably the most infectious gospel that troubles the church today is the gospel of goodness. Which teaches that if you do things right, your life will go well. This gospel makes you an idol by elevating what you deserve for right behavior. I hope you can see the subtlety of these substitute gospels because there's nothing wrong with wanting any of those things. There's nothing wrong with wanting a good family or, or for your life to go well. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem with all of them is that they take the focus off of Christ and put it on us. The health gospel says Christ hasn't counted my days my faith determines my health. The family gospel says your worth is, is in your family. The personal relationship gospel says others exist to serve you. And the gospel of goodness says that even though our Lord's goodness didn't make his life better, my goodness somehow can. We must accept no substitutes because some will try. Which leads us to the next warning I want you to see in verses 8 through 9. Look at verse 8. Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The late theologian John Stott said this, the church's greatest troublemakers, now just as then, are not those outside who oppose, ridicule, and persecute it, but those inside who try to change the gospel. I want you to see two things out of verses 8 and 9. We must accept no substitutes, not only because some will try, but because those who try will often come from within. Because those who try will often come from within. You see, Paul's first missionary journey to the, to the region of Galatia was nothing but a huge success. It says in the Bible that many Jews and Gentiles all believed they were worshiping God and praising Him for His Word. However, if we put ourselves in the Galatians' sandals, we can understand what might have been happening. You see, this whole Christian thing was brand new to them. They... they, they most of them had never even heard of the Jewish God, much less this Jesus guy. So what happened was some Jews came in from Jerusalem, and they were saying, listen, we're really happy that you found Christ. But here's the thing. We've been at this a long time. Thousands of years, actually. So yes, you are saved by Jesus, but you still have to follow the law. That's what they were saying. You still have to be circumcised and stay away from certain foods and so on. So we can understand how these Galatians being so new to this might have just thought, oh, wow, well, they know what they're talking about. Maybe they're right. But what I want you to understand is Paul isn't talking about some pagan who came in and started preaching that they should worship Artemis or some pagan god. No, he's saying even if an angel or an apostle preaches something different, let them be accursed. And the same is true for us. Paul's not saying if some guest preacher comes in on a private jet with a fancy suit and big fake teeth and says you should give him your money, let him be accursed. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if Grant preaches anything but Christ alone. 
let him be accursed. We must accept no substitutes because the danger is often from within. And I want to illustrate this for you because it wasn't just the Galatians. In Acts chapter 20, Paul warned the Ephesian church just down the road from Galatia. He said this, he said, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And listen to this. He said, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Now, what I want you to hear about this is listen to what Jude said just about 15 or 20 years later. He said, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, but I find it necessary to appeal to you to contend for the faith. Listen, because certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for condemnation, ungodly people who pervert, it's the same word as Paul used in Galatians, who pervert the grace of our God. So Paul warned that fierce wolves would come in unnoticed and from among you they would attack the congregation. And now Judas saying they have crept in. So the first thing I want you to see in verses 8 and 9 is we must accept no substitutes, not only because some will try, but because they are often from within. So, look across the room and see if you can identify who the wolves are. Just kidding. We're not there yet. I do, however, want you to understand the weight of what Paul is saying. So, let me put what he's saying into words we might use today. He's saying that if an apostle or an angel from heaven or anyone should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that I preach to you, let them go to hell. He's saying if anyone teaches you a different gospel, let them go to hell. Now, Paul, that doesn't sound very Christian. Well, if you're a parent... I'm sure many of you have had an experience similar to this. A couple of our kids loved the water when they were young. Even when they were just a few years old, if we were at the pool or the lake, they would squirm and strive and fight and even throw a fit if you didn't let them get into the water. The problem was they didn't know how to swim. Even, even it, got, it got so bad that we would have to put a life jacket on them before we even got out of the car because they could smell water that was deeper than them. So what did we do? Well, like any responsible parent, we took them out to the deep end of the pool, dropped them in, let them sink beneath the, the surface, waited until we saw the fear in their eyes, and then pulled them back up above the surface so that they would know that's very scary. Now, that wasn't our normal form of discipline. We didn't do that every time they played with a Tupperware in the you know, kitchen or something like that. But as I'm sure, if you're a parent, you have experienced, when your kid does something that could cause them serious injury or death, even if they don't understand why, you, you respond in a way that might seem harsh because of the danger that it poses them. And so rather than seeing Paul's reaction as, as harsh or unsympathetic, we need to ask why 
he responded so vehemently? And the answer is Paul's harsh response is appropriate because of the great danger this false gospel posed to these Galatians. And the same is true for us today. That's the second thing I want you to hear Paul saying out of verses 8 and 9, is we must accept no substitutes because there is too much at stake. There is too much at stake. There are souls at stake here. There is eternity at stake here. So while we will love and bear with and teach and be patient with the worst of sinners, one thing I want you to know, in fact, I'm grateful that some of you have even witnessed is that I and the elders of this church will not be nice to someone who comes in here and twists the gospel. They will not be met with a let's agree to disagree. They will be met with a there's the door and don't let it hit you. There's too much at stake for the gospel. And Paul's strong language is exhibiting that. Every day, countless souls, they stand on the brink of eternity. Unknowingly. And the only thing that stands between them and where they will spend it is the pure gospel. We cannot let that be corrupted. We must always be careful for substitutes because there is too much at stake. So let me ask you the most important question that you will ever have to answer in your entire life. Let's just say that today was your last. For some reason, you walk out this door and I accidentally back over you. I'm really sorry. (laughs) But for some reason today, you're going to stand in front of God. The question that you need to answer is this. If you're standing in front of God and he asked you, why should I let you in? What would your answer be? What would your answer be if you stood before God today and were asked by him why, I, why he should let you in. 500 years ago, the church had fallen prey to a substitute gospel that gave the wrong answer to that question. The Catholic Church would have answered, because I have been baptized, and because I have received communion, and because I have gone to confession, and maybe even because I had, had bought some indulgences. You see, what had happened is that someone from within the church had removed the the word of God from the midst of the people, and with it, the gospel went. So look at verse 10. Where the last thing I want you to see, Paul saying, is that we must accept no substitutes because there is only one gospel that pleases God. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. An Anglican preacher named J. Brandon Meeks was writing about the need to put appropriate emphasis on the right doctrines. And he wrote this. He said, in order to maintain the peace of Christ's church, we must not only know what is true, we must also know the relative importance of each truth. The deity of Christ is important. Head coverings for women are not as important. 
Justification by faith is very important. Whether Friar Jones ought to be drinking Michelob is not. Then he says, of course, there is a sense in which drinking Michelob can be controversial. In some evangelical circles, drinking Michelob is controversial because it is drinking beer. He says, among Anglicans, however, it is controversial because it is not. <laughs> he says, but I digress. You see, the Jews accused Paul of being a man-pleaser because of how he acted differently around different groups of people. When he was with the Jews, he knew it would be offensive to them if he ate bacon, so he didn't eat bacon. I mean, God said, right, take up your cross and follow me. He did. But when he was around the Gentiles, he knew that if he didn't eat bacon, he would offend them, so he would eat bacon when he was around the Gentiles. So now Paul is asking, now what do you think of those rumors about who I'm trying to please? Now do you think I'm trying to please man or trying to please God? Many of you know how I feel about dividing over non-essential issues. I refuse to divide over what you believe about modes of baptism or communion or end time stuff or whether or not Michelob is beer or not. We won't divide over those things if we believe in the common gospel, the essential doctrines of our faith. So this morning, in celebration of the Reformation, rather than explaining to you what we will not divide over, I want you to hear me say this, we will divide over the gospel. We will divide over the gospel. The singular authority over our lives is the pure saving truth of the gospel, and it lies in Scripture alone. We will divide over that. We are saved not by any merit of our own, but by the mercy and grace of God alone. We will divide over that. We are saved not by anything we do, but by faith alone. We will divide over that. And we have salvation from sin and victory over death, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ alone, we will divide over that. And all of this, all of this salvation is to the, to the glory of God alone, and we will divide over that. Brothers and sisters, the love and mercy of our Father in heaven is shown only in the pure, unadulterated truth of the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Period. That's it. Everything else is non-essential. We must guard that truth. We must protect that truth. We must cherish that truth. We must enjoy that truth. We must live that truth that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. This morning as we celebrate the Reformation, I want to leave you with just one simple thing. We must accept no substitutes for that truth. What can wash away my sin?
Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my part in this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. O oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know what? Stand with me right now. Let's sing about nothing but the blood of Jesus.